Hi guys and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast and today we have back with us again Priscilla who is the CEO and co-founder of Hava Health. So welcome back first of all. Thank you Inus for having me again. Thank you so much and you know we talked about the importance of women investing in preventive care the last time but we didn't really get to delve deep into it so I wanted to have you back to discuss this which is basically the importance of why women should invest in their health. So women actually account for 80% of consumer purchasing decisions in the healthcare industry. But yet, you know, women's health is actually really a niche market. And people, I think especially women, say it's like an overlooked sector of healthcare. So in your experience, you know, because at Heba, you sort of really work very closely with this demographic, right? First of all, do you see any generational differences with regards to how women's health are regarded in the family? Because I can imagine, you know, in our mother's time, you know, or even in our grandma's time, when well, usually one, one mom would be giving birth to many, many children. And I'm not sure if there was even attention paid to their reproductive health, right? Or like to their health in general. And then our mothers, maybe like the average, um, they would have like two, three kids. And then coming down to our, to our generation, a lot of it is still like one or two kids. Do you see any generational differences when it comes to like the family's resources being invested towards women's health? Talking about like personally, right? Mm. When we take a look at like our, our parents' generation, maybe I talk about like my experience as mm. me becoming a mother. Mm. Let's say when I turn into become a mother, mm-hmm. I care a lot more on a women's health perspective, on a medicinal, Western medicine view of mm-hmm. perspective. But when I talk to like my mother or like my grandmother, they care a lot more on like the TCM view of like how are we going to practice on women's health. Mm. Uh, like towards like, for example, postnatal recovery example. Mm. They have uh, binding, belly binding, or they follow like some traditional confinement and etc. People are more into Western medicine, but they are also attuned more on like, they're still practicing a lot Some in, in some expect or another mm-hmm. in some traditional Chinese medicine as well. Mm. So that is something that we see the trend is, yeah, mm. in terms of that. At the same time, also like in terms of like what you say, right now, people are having less and less children. Last mm. time, our grandparents' generation, maybe six to ten, yep. as many as possible shows how much wealth and how much they can afford and there's no way to protect, you know, like there's no pro- protection is not needed. Mm. But all of us right now, before we even think through, I see a lot of changes on how women, as we are getting more educated, as like families are getting more educated, they care a lot about financially planning it ahead before starting a family mm-hmm. to a certain extent. So it has improved. Yeah, I think for sure it has improved from a financial planning perspective. But this is something that we talked about in the previous podcast where not much financial resources of the family is being allocated to the woman's health, especially after birth of the child, maybe before, you know, from a fertility perspective. But how do you reckon, you know, working moms can broach the topic of allocating more financial resources towards the health Mm. of the females in the household? Maybe I can share with you a little bit, yeah. I realize no matter what, when we after talking to a lot of our customers and mm. like, um, we realize that no matter what, they are still thinking of themselves as a role of a caretaker. Mm. They tend to be more conservative in what their plan is for themselves compared to 
their kids or their spouse or their parents. So in the end, what we, we it derived down to when we actually look at a healthcare cost or like their own like spending, personal spending, they're spending a lot more on their example cosmetics mm. or their shopping. Mm. You know, instead of something that is very vital for them, investing more on their health in terms of like okay, I'm going through a menopause. This is how much I need when I reach forty something. Yes. So it is something that they need to be more aware in regards to themselves planning their own women's investment, their mm. own health investment. Yeah, yeah. I think you raised that, that interesting point when it comes down to like, what are the priorities, like spending priorities in a woman's lifetime, right? Because I think we can see the differences as one gets through different life stages. Yeah. I mean, might be slightly generalizing, but then, you know, let's say in the early teens you can imagine a lot of it might be cosmetics fast fashion entertainment especially in the late teens early 20s maybe clubbing you know yeah. those kind of expenses maybe not so much health oriented but as one approaches as a woman approaches their 30s that's when they actually start to have children that's when it really like hits them that you know their health is actually important that's when you start seeing more investments into health then maybe later on you might see more more, more focus on yeah. let's say even investments I'm not even sure if like when by the time you're 40 would it be too late to look at investments you know I would actually recommend they look into it earlier Yes. yes. so I think you know it's just interesting to see across like a woman's lifetime right yeah. there's like different pockets of things that they spend on yeah yeah agree with you what would be like the top three things in each decade of a woman's life to invest in in their 20s 30s 40s 50s what we think that is mm. good right not, not what is the fact of life yeah right? you can make, you can like let us know what's your perspective of what is good and how that mm. distinct, how that differentiates from what is mm. what you actually see like what you said like when you reach like a 20s like in your 20s you're still like single you don't have like any liabilities mm. I mean not liabilities I cannot say children's liability they're asset <laughs> but you know I mean there's expenses that you mm. need to actually provide for your family people that you're financially yeah. obligated yes, to yes mm. uh, with that you spend a lot more like you're traveling mm. Or like what you say, spending, socializing with your friends, mm. going to the nicest cafes or like beauty products or mm. like like fashion, mm -hmm. cosmetics nowadays is like everywhere and mm. they're very accessible. Mm -hmm. They're all spending a lot more on those because it's their first time getting money, they're getting income. Mm. So that's where they're actually spending on. But we seek an advice like at that point of time. I think most of us Asians, we are actually still living with our parents, right? Mm. When we are still in our early 20s. So that can be a possibility where you can start saving up or like find small little investment that you can actually start doing and looking into it. Investing towards your financial wellness yes, perspective, yes. like starting to invest early or like getting on top of your own finances. Yes, and like having like maybe financial literacy, but mm -hmm. financial literacy, it can actually be even before you graduate, yeah, you can mm. actually start planning on all of those things. Like mm -hmm. understanding, like understanding what are the few expenses that you need. How much do I need to put in for my own health? How much mm. do I need to put on for my retirement? How much, because retirement is also important. Yeah? Nowadays, lifetime span is more than 85 years. Mm -hmm. And in Singapore, we are even like exceeding Japan for mm -hmm. in terms of like age, right? Yep. So you need to plan way ahead. What if you're old and you're poor? It's hard as well, you know what I mean? So those things are also very important for them to start once they finish graduation it goes very much against a YOLO kind of mindset I think there yeah. was there was a time where there was that kind of YOLO kind of spending live for today you know yeah. go and travel the world and there's always that balance right and I think I face that myself where 
my mindset was always like far into the future and this was how much. But then I was like restricting a lot of like present day enjoyments. Yeah. But my but my conclusion, like my personal conclusion was maybe like in life identify what matters to you. Yeah. And okay. and what your priorities are and there are certain things that you need to, yeah. need to sacrifice. And in, in your twenties it's extremely hard because you don't have the financial burden in your hand right in front of you yet, right? Mm. So it is like what you say, like it's you need to be conscious about it. You need to think ahead consciously as much as you want to YOLO you can have a certain amount for you to YOLO about mm. but understand that you don't have to pay your rent and everything but that is good for you then there's some more portion that you can actually do to grow your money or you for you to save up for a better better health so that's in the 20s, 20s right? yeah. how about your like the 30s do you see like a change because that's like another life stage yeah I think during your 30s I think it's uh, a lot more cost on like your children yeah your your biggest financial burden definitely is your children. I have two kids, so I have to think about my two kids, about not just like the school fees, but also like every other thing. Like uh, both of them want to join some sort of sports. Mm. Of course, you as a mother, you want to let them be exposed to as much thing as possible, like mm. as much to find their talent, let's say, and tuition as well. There's a lot of like pressure as well to ensure that they are actually still on par with the rest of their classmates. So I'm actually curious because like your, your children's school in the Singapore. Yes. And 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 also have peers where, you know, their their kids are just starting out and they they often kind of start off thinking like, you know, I'm gonna be that cool parent, you know, I'm not yeah. gonna be swept up with this whole um pressure to spend on extracurricular activities or tuition. But I think just the other day I was having a conversation with a friend, with an old friend, and she she was she put out a statistic which um where she said that in Singapore ninety seven percent of children has actually received tuition. Yeah. And that was like a crazy statistic, which means that only three percent of them don't. And she actually raised the example of um a parent was actually asking the teacher, the let's say primary school teacher, the school, the official school teacher, like how come this concept wasn't taught to my child in school? And the response she got was, your child's tuition teacher should have taught that. And for me, that was actually very interesting, right? And that, that kind of ties back into that whole spending on tuition, which is actually a very hefty cost. Yes, yes. Very significant. Yes, it's a lot more than what you think. <laughs> I mean, it's much more than public education, yes, first of yes. all. My kids, for maybe like to tell you, my kids uh, study in international school. But again, with that, we also have tuition. Mm. Because we felt that it's important for them to be exposed. And at the same time, I want them to still be on par with the peers as well. Mm. Especially like, let's say, uh, like why tuition somehow, somehow in the end, it's kind of like, important and it's essential mm. because like what you say dual income all mm. of us are like working mm. we think about it like we send our kids to school example in the morning we finish work at like five to six by the time our brain is actually drained mm. you know what i mean and then mm. you cannot just like, imagine like your kids go to school come back to school you need to teach them again every single day mm. i think it will take a toll on our mental health as well if we do not have like tuition that can actually help us assist Mm. us in teaching our kids mm. in terms of their academic as well yeah so you think that in your situation it's actually worthwhile to send them to tuition yeah. after after school after school and then mm. to give them more exposure as well mm. for me I am not a I think all my friends know I'm a very I'm considered a very chill mom and mm. I still have tuition by the way <laughs> yeah I'm considered really chill I want my kids to kind of like just be happy 
mm. now. But at the same time, still be confident. And being confident for a child to be confident means they need to be okay. You know what I mean? They need to be the benchmark. They need to be okay at in school because if they are not doing well in school, they can feel lower confidence in themselves, right? Mm. So this, those things in the end, even though you say that you want to be a chill mom, but you want your kid to be happy. And any mm-hmm. happy and confident child, you need to make sure that they are also some sort of like acceptable or like thriving at in in, in school. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what to do? Pressure and then yeah. So from what you said, it sounds like given these considerations for a woman in her 30s who, you know, would have, let's say, young children mm-hmm. and to have that kind of additional financial responsibility when it, because it's not just paying for the child's public education it would also be for the private tuition yeah. so having that amount of resources actually requires first the financial planning in your 20s because it doesn't happen overnight yes. just having a lump of money doesn't ho- happen overnight yeah. and the second thing is investing into the mental wellness of the caregiver which is you know the the parents yes yes for sure mm. it's for, you do that to invest on yourself too Mm. Yeah. How about they're from their forties going on to the next? Miss, you stage. need to plan out that on your thirties as well, right? Mm. Right now, I'm even thinking like since I entered this women's health industry, I start to really look into menopause. I'm starting to put more investment and understanding about all of these things. Mm-hmm. I felt that that is actually very important. Yeah, An important aspect that you need to invest on as well for menopause understanding because so far, like the past generation, people are very much not aware of menopause itself. Mm. And that is years. It can take up like to seven years. Symptoms can take up to seven years, which is a long time. Mm-hmm. And that requires a long-term medical expenses for mm-hmm. your for you to actually mm-hmm. to reduce the symptoms, right? So those are also costs. And usually a lot of these are not inside insurance as well. So it's a personal expense. So this is something that you need to plan out as well. What is the typical range? I mean, I, I understand it probably would be a big range, but what would be this range in terms of how much a woman would spend on menopause in her lifetime? Mm. Because I'm sure some women don't spend anything at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there are two ways of treatment. One is actually hormonal therapy. One mm-hmm. more is actually a lot of women are opting out for more natural mm. remedy, which is using TCM approach or like other Ayurvedic approach. Mm-hmm. The cost really varies for a few hundred to a few thousand dollars per year. Mm. So it really varies on like your expectation and the doctor itself or your way of treatment or how much you care or how is your symptom, how bad is your symptoms. Mm. Some women doesn't really have, but we as a woman, we understand like women, we hope to always plan ahead before ahead of time. They are anticipating all the problems before it comes, right? Mm. So it is important for us to know that why not plan in case you have like some, your symptoms is getting worse, you know, compared to like the, the, the norm. Yeah. Mm. And, and just from uh, allocation of financial resources in the family unit, because, you know, that's like you said, like women need to sort of like set aside a certain amount mm. for, their, for their health in their later years. Mm-hmm. How would, you know, first of all, do you see, you know, in terms of the, the habits, do you see, like say spouses having like different different sets of bank accounts or you know it's like one pool that the family just draws off from. I think separation is actually good. Mm. If not, for example, like I used to only have like two accounts. One is for my monthly, one more is for my kids' savings and the rest, the rest, everything and our investment. Mm. But in the end like that, the, somehow the kids' expenses gone up like so much and it, in the end we 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 reduce our investment mm. our investment pool mm. so in a way like why not separating it delegating it 
to ensure that it is still an, a proper allocated like budget. Mm. I think that is good for our budgeting as well. Yeah. So like each spouse will have their own personal account. And then there's the joint account that is goes towards children's expenses and then the joint account yeah. that goes towards investments. Yeah, that we are investing together. Mm. But it's important for me as a woman as well, and I'm sure you know you too, like having like your own, if you have like any partner, it is actually important for you to still have your own attainment of personal savings mm. because you will... It is sort of like it gives you understanding that of your confidence as well and your self-assurance that you are capable and you are you hold ownership of your own life as well. Mm. So I know that like, you know, you work with like, let's say like working women, right? But then sometimes if we are looking at a dual income household, but then is they draw different salary, Mm. then would you recommend an equal contribution or prorated based on what each person brings? Up to personal discussion of them, yeah. Mm. Both need to have an open conversation. The most important thing is open transparency on what is comfortable for each of them and mm. they can work out their planning and their budgeting and their savings according to each personal plan. Is there anything that you see like work out well or not work out well? Actually, truthfully, I see like like there's a few difference in like social economic, in terms of social economic level, different tiers have mm. different way of planning ahead or different countries as well. Mm. Example in, in in Singapore is a lot more like a dual, more or less equal, but it really depends on the economic and social economic. Let's say like the mass, yeah, of Singapore. There's a lot like middle or like almost equal if they are both working and they're both in almost same economic level. Mm. But example in in Indonesia, because of the cultural expectation, men are still considered as the breadwinner mm. and the women are the caretaker of the family. Mm. Thus with that there's also proportion difference mm-hmm. on the contribution that is needed, that is obliged or like pressured to contribute inside. Mm. Yeah. Then sort of like rounding it off. So like in the later age for for women, mm. like what do you like what would be things that they should invest in? Because we've kind of gone through like twenties, thirties, forties. Yeah, I think women in the forties and fifties they need to start really thinking about their retirement mm. as well. Yeah, when they are retiring. Example, what this is what I see my grandmother. Mm-hmm. My grandma is in her nineties and and she's really sick. Mm. And thank God she has savings mm. for her to sustain her health problem. She mm. is doing blood dialysis three times a week. She is doing a, a lot of checkups. She goes in and out of the hospitals. She is actually still living, but mm. also because of the doctor. Mm. If not, she can, I don't think, without financial uh, capability, I don't think she is able to actually live to this mm. extent. Yeah? Mm. Without proper, because there's no health care. She don't have any health care. Uh, enough money for healthcare, right? So she does have that's why she can live to this extent. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I can share with you one this is a bit out of topic, but we can share with you a very inspirational story about um, maybe my helper mm. in Indonesia. Mm. It is actually quite amazing. She actually started working with me and she's earning about like uh three hundred, four hundred dollar a year back then. Oh. Mm, uh, in, in Indonesia, yeah. not here. Okay, Sorry. this is not not in Singapore. When mm. I was back in Indonesia, mm. so she saved up this a lot of money for her village for her to be in the village. Once she get back, she stopped working. She stopped working. She end up buying land 
and she started investing into like small housing for students inside mm. her village. Mm. So she, that is like a passive income that she created for herself. With no education, she is able to think through mm. this extent. Mm. And in the end, she um, she started her own business. Every day, she spent about 30 cents for her daily income. And she sells these little drinks, this turmeric drink mm. around her village. Mm. And she's earning up like $2. Mm. So she is... No matter what she is, there's no deficit in her income and she's she has planned out herself on her financial. Like her cash flow is healthy. Her cash flow is healthy. Mm. And I think like even like someone who is not who do not have proper education mm. is able to do that. I think it inspires us, like all of us living in the city, we are thinking about like our housing, our mortgage, our leasing for our cars, all these expenses. And we are still we are in debts with our credit cards and everything mm. why don't we try to take a look into like reflect it again look at simplify like how can we simplify our lives and make ourselves like financially healthy and that can ease out a lot of our burden as well mm. yeah I think yeah. it's commendable that she's able to do that I mean like being able to work with very little resources but being yeah. resourceful and seeing like what can you do especially like you know what she did where it gives her like consistent cash flow yeah. like you said she's in no deficit and actually like, supports her in old age which is like important yes. as well and she wants to go shopping she still can shop I mean in the village you don't need that much you just need 30 cents for, for a day and mm. she is providing 30 cents for four mm. people in her family mm. so yeah that's true but then it's also a very different context because I guess you know in Singapore just just existing requires <laughs> like the basic amount of spending, right? Which is why, because if we live in, a, in in this kind of setting, then there's that need to, of course, like just be able to cover yeah. that. But of course, if in terms of like spending, you know, everybody has their own definitions of what's essential and what's non-essential. Yeah, true. Because like even just now when you're talking about our twenties, like you know, there's a, there are a lot of people who say that investing in self care is important. But then self care could mean like really expensive massages, especially in Singapore, it costs like hundred dollars yes. an yes. hour or something like that. But but for some people that is the self care right that's something that they need to do they yes. feel that it's an essential expense whereas yes. for somebody else they wouldn't deem it as such. But I going back to like um you know from fifties and beyond because you're right the lifespans are increasing and I think the previous literature that we've grown to learn didn't forecast for that length of life. Yes. Whereas now people are realizing that even today the seniors are like you know we actually didn't save up that much. And we are living much longer than we expected. Yes. So just having that pool, is, if you if you live another ten to twenty years, like people simply have not saved up for that, and yes. that's why I always advocate starting as early as possible and be prudent wherever you can. But I think it's I think it's really important work that you're doing at Hava because it's often not talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, women's health. So I think it's very important work that you guys are doing. Yes, yes. We hope to make a difference and like for some for companies to realize the importance also for supporting women, yeah. Working mm. women. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for being on. Um, Thank you so much. Yunus. For listeners who would like to find out more about the work you do, where can they find you? Yes, they can actually email us at info at heva.health mm -hmm. or check out our website at heva.health. And yes, or find me in LinkedIn and drop me a DM I'll, for demo or like for any meeting. We are glad and we are excited to just have to learn or actually explore more opportunities. Cool. Thank you so much, Priscilla. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you.
Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at MissFitFi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on MeListen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>